Loving Father, we thank you so much that we could be here tonight and that we could um, just be in your house and see old friends and make new friends and hear the message that you've laid on Pastor Nehemiah's heart. We ask that you will touch his lips with your Holy Spirit and uh, touch our ears that we may hear in Jesus' name. Thank you so much, Pastor. Good evening, everyone. It's good to see each and every one of you out here tonight. Welcome to Encounters with Jesus, a special revival series that we are conducting here. And I'm thankful and grateful for each and every one of you that's joining us in person as well as those who are joining us online. Um, I'm excited to be here, glad to be here. I pray that you, I trust and pray that you've had a blessed week. And uh, I'm so thankful that uh, we are here at the end of another week. And I believe it's by God's grace that we have made it uh, to the end of another week. So I'm excited, and um, I got some things that I'd like to share with you this evening. Um, and I'm going to do that as soon as we um, open up with prayer. I just want to add my prayer to that of my pastor here, and then we'll get right into our message for this evening. Father in heaven, Lord, thank you so much for your love and your grace and your mercy. We are so thankful and grateful to be gathered here tonight, the family of God coming together. And Lord, I just want to praise you because you're so good to us, more than we deserve. I want to thank you for Jesus. And I pray that he will be lifted up in this place, that our eyes will be focused on him. I also pray, Lord, that you would pour out your Holy Spirit, Father, and Holy Spirit, please come and saturate us and immerse us in your presence. Fill this place, but fill every living temple in this place tonight. May we have a fresh encounter with Jesus. And so, Lord, thank you so much for those who are here in person and those who are joining us online. We love you. Speak to our hearts. Isaiah 55 verse 11 says that your word will go forth and will not return to you void, but will accomplish the purpose for which you sent it out. John 12, 32, Jesus said that if I be lifted up, I would draw all people to myself. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'd like to share with you some things, exciting things that are taking place um, that I involved in in terms of ministry. Um, after I am done this weekend here tonight and tomorrow, I travel back to um, West Seattle where I grew up and I was raised and I will be um, hosting and facilitating at the Boys and Girls Club there a listening session for middle school age children, um, indigenous, Native Americans, and Pacific Islanders. And they will be coming there to share and discuss mental and emotional health issues that they face in their schools. And so I'm excited about that. Um, we have probably about 40 families coming out to join us for that. And so I'm partnering up with King County and um, other community partners in reaching out to our young people. Um, I, I believe in investing and pouring into our young people and our children. And I want to share with you that, you know, there's some amazing things that are happening. Um, 
with this group, and I'm, I'm excited about it. Um, I've mentioned, um, I believe it was the first or second night that when I was um, sharing the message, that I'm also going to be uh, spending more time with the Muslim community in Seattle, including an imam and his family that have given their hearts to Jesus. And um, so I'm working with about eight families now in their homes, and we are establishing home churches with these families. Um, I've been studying with them. I've been in and out um, in this group for, over, for about a year now or more. And um, we are also planning baptisms of some of these families. And because of the, because of the um, resistance and pushback and even the persecution that the imam and his family have been facing, I mean, I want to I share with you that I just praise God for the miracles that he's performing in that community. Would you say amen to that? And so I'm excited about it. We may, uh, we may perform baptisms in their home. Um, whether it's utilizing their bathtubs or um, a swimming pool in the yard, whatever, whatever we can do. Um, so I'm excited about that. I've also planted a new church out in West Seattle at the Boys and Girls Club. And um, we are worshiping in that space. And right now we have about 40 to 50 people that attend regularly. And the majority of those folks that come um, are ex-convicts and thugs and drug, drug dealers and drug addicts. And that excites me. And so I, I'm sharing that with you because I, I, solicit, I, solicit, I solicit your prayers because that's my background. I came from the streets. I... I dealt drugs. I was a drug and alcoholic, a drug addict and alcoholic, um, an ex-convict in and out of the system. And um, I just praise God that he delivered me and rescued me from the streets. And, uh, yes, I have a few tattoos, um, others on the inside of my Aloha shirt that I don't care to share (laughs) or show at this time. Um, But... I'm so thankful, Brian, that God loves us in spite of, in spite of our, our shortcomings and our failures and our mistakes. Let me, let me share something with you right off the top. No matter what your past, no matter what you've done, no matter what your background, your ethnicity, no matter no, your, your, your family tree, it doesn't matter. I'm here to share with you, family, that that will not change God's love. For us. In fact, I want to begin tonight there. My favorite passage, uh, one of my favorite passages in Scripture is found in Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, verses 6, 8, and 10. Romans chapter 5, verses 6, 8, and 10. The Apostle Paul writes this, and I love what he shares there. He shares how it says that when we were without strength, when we were without strength, that means powerless, helpless, hopeless, no strength, weak. It says, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. 
right there you have two conditions, human conditions that are mentioned in that one verse. And it says, first of all, that we are without strength. We don't have it within ourselves to break ourselves free from sin, from addiction, from bad habits, from evil thoughts. We, we are incapable. We are helpless. We are, we are without strength. We can't free ourselves from the power of sin. We can't pull ourselves up out of the pit of sin. But praise be to God, it says, but in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Christ died for us. In other words, it's only through the power of the blood of Christ and through the power of the Holy Spirit can we experience freedom. Can we experience victory? Can we experience what it means to overcome? But it's only through Jesus. We can't do it ourselves. Verse 8 says that, while we were yet sinners, that's another one, Joe. So we are, we are without strength. We are ungodly. And then it says that we are sinners. It says, while we were yet sinners, not when we were over there trying to get ourselves together, not when I was coming to church, not when I thought I had my act together or had it all right. It says that while I was watching porn, while I was smoking dope, while I was hitting the pipe, while I was sucking on that bottle, while I was committing crime and doing violence, it says that in those moments, Christ died for me. Life-changing. Yeah. So we're, we're without strength. We're ungodly. We're sinners. It says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Verse 10 says, and you were enemies of God. (laughs) So the fourth one is, we viewed and looked at God, this God of love, according to 1 John chapter 4 verse 8 says that God is love. We looked at him as being the enemy. You see, because our minds have been twisted, our minds have been warped, our minds, because of our fallen nature, because of our sinful nature, now we have viewed God as being the enemy, the very one who has gone all out to rescue and to save each and every one of us. This is the God that we view as the enemy. But it says that even while we looked at God as being the enemy, it says that through his son, Jesus Christ, through his life, through his death, he has reconciled us unto himself. In other words, this broken relationship, this severed relationship caused by sin and caused by us, we viewed God as being the enemy, and yet he's the one. He's the one that comes to our rescue. He's the one that comes to deliver us. He's the one that comes to save us. He's the one that comes to reconcile the broken relationship and restore that relationship and draw us to himself. Wow. You know, when I was uh, when I was running the streets, and I I uh, I remember there were times where it seemed like I was totally cut off from God, totally cut off from my family, and I just praise God that in spite of those dark spaces that I was in, I remember being in a jail cell, and one of the things that I and I tried to I tried my best to avoid it, but Brother Brian, there was a Bible that was there. I ended up picking up the Bible and. 
and as I was going through it and perusing through its pages, God, this God of love, he spoke to me. He came to me in my prison cell. You don't think God doesn't show up in, in the prisons and in the jails? God shows up over there in the hospital, uh, in the hospitals and, and in convalescent homes and centers and shows up in those wards where, where people are suffering from cancer and people are dying. God shows up. God is present everywhere because God is still in the business of saving souls. That's what he does. I grew up in a home, as I mentioned before, my father, he was a pastor. He grew up, he was a rough man. He grew up, you know, I, and, I, and I have to understand that this was how he was raised. And one of the things that happens is that there are these vicious cycles that we find ourselves in. We find ourselves dealing and battling with generational curses. But I'm so thankful, listen, I'm so thankful that in spite of the generational curses, in spite of the things that are passed down through heredity, you know, heredity, or heredity, praise be to God, Jesus came into the human family. Please read Matthew chapter 1, the genealogy of Christ. Luke chapter 3, the genealogy of Christ. And you're going to discover that Christ entered into this world. Christ took on human flesh and blood. Christ became a part of the human family and joined in the human family. And when you look at his family tree, man, it's messed up. But I'm so thankful that Christ came into our human family to break generational curses so that we can start something new. We don't have to repeat over and over and over again what prior generations have done. That's why we are ministering to our young people. That's why we are reaching and speaking into these spaces so that the young people can know and the youth can understand. Listen, I don't have to repeat what my father and my grandfather and his father before him did. Jesus Christ is a game changer. Jesus Christ can change all of that. We don't have to continue that cycle. Jesus can break that pattern. He can break that cycle and he can give us a new, fresh start. I wonder why in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and 17 it says, He that is in Christ, he or she, is a new what? A new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become what? New. That's not saying, Paul's not saying that there won't be times where we struggle and, and wrestle and grapple with things. Listen. I still, I still go through things. I, I, I mentioned it the other night, you know, like, and I praise God that he's helping me with some of these things. Like, for example, I still don't like getting cut off on the road. But God has, God has helped me with that, Brian. Because now I'm learning, okay, God, God you've got to help me. Uh, I, I don't have that same temper that I once had, but there are still some things that, you know, rear its ugly head from time to time. And that just, that just reminds me that I need you moment by moment, day by day. I'm not safe for a moment without you, Lord. I need you. And so tonight, I'm going to share with you about Jesus and the outsider. Tomorrow morning, I'm going to share about Jesus and the legion or Jesus and the demoniac. And some of my experiences that I've had with demon possession, not only those that I've encountered that had demon possession, 
but even myself, being possessed by demons and uh, how the devil had his way with me. So you don't want to miss that tomorrow. And then um, tomorrow night, I will be speaking about Jesus and the rich young ruler, that encounter. Next Friday night, to honor Mother's Day weekend, I'm going to be talking about Jesus and the desperate mother. So that's what we have coming up. I want to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles, or if you have your devices, I'm also going to share some of it on the screen. The Gospel of John, Chapter 4. The Gospel of John, Chapter 4, and that's where we are going to camp out tonight. The Gospel of John, Chapter 4. You know, one of the things that I'm thankful and grateful for, I praise God for, is that with all the stuff that I I did that messed my body up, that messed my mind up, you know, killing the brain cells with all the drugs that I took and the alcohol consumption and all this other stuff. Psalm 119, verse 11, it says, Thy word have I hid in my heart, that I might not sin against thee. It's a miracle of God, but it's also a testament to the power of the Holy Spirit. When, when you put the word of God in, um, it just, it, there, there's, there's something that just takes place. It, there, it's, it just changes um, everything. The Gospel of John chapter 4, and I'm going to connect these two stories because I want to show you that last week I was sharing about Jesus and the insider, which is Nicodemus in John chapter 3. And these stories actually are back-to-back, I believe, for a reason. I believe that John, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, had them back-to-back because he wanted to reveal to us that while they may look vastly different, Nicodemus being uh, a man who graduated from these prestigious rabbinical schools and maybe had a Ph.D. um, in theology and And perhaps, you know, we are told, of course, that he was a Pharisee. He was a member of the Sanhedrin council, that he was a man of highest, you know, high esteem and prestige. And he had wealth and was affluent. And he had he was highly educated and had everything basically that you can want. It says that he was a ruler of the Jews and he had, you know, he had everything. And yet it's amazing to me that in his encounter with Jesus, Jesus doesn't mince words, and Jesus doesn't beat around the bush, but looks at this highly respected moral and civic leader and said to him, you must be born again. What? Wait a minute. (laughs) Now, if you were to say that to a Gentile or somebody else, you know, that's beneath us, beneath me, um, somebody else in the community or in society, I mean, I'm, I mean, look at me. And Jesus said, well, I'm going to say it again, just in case you didn't hear me the first time. Unless a man is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And, and I want to share with you, family, that here's one of the dangers that exist and, and, and everywhere I've gone now to do re- revival series like this and preaching in our churches, I have discovered something. I've discovered that, again, each and every one of us, even those of us who have been born and raised in the church and have been 
in the church all of our lives doesn't make us any better than those on the outside. Because the bottom line is, whether you're here or whether you're out there, we all need Jesus. All of the religious activity, all of the religious exercises, all of the religious programming, we can be engaged and involved in all those things and yet not have an encounter with Christ. Let me give you an example before we go to John chapter 4. In the Gospel of Luke chapter 18, Jesus tells a parable of a Pharisee and a publican. Interesting thing is that Jesus says both of those men go up into the temple to pray. <laughs> they, both, they both go up into the church to pray. Now, you guys who are familiar with this story, Jesus then says that the Pharisee goes up and basically props himself up. And, and although he, although it, it seems as if he's praying to God, when you really read the story, he's praying to himself. And when you think he's praising God, he's really praising himself. Because he says, I thank you, God, that uh, I fast twice a week. <laughs> I give my tithe. I preach, I teach, I do all this stuff. I mean, he, he basically is just like giving his list, right, of what commends him to God and what, why he should be looked upon as one who has earned salvation or righteousness. What happens? He even goes as far as, check this out, and I really thank you, God that I'm not like this guy over here. So not only does he list his own good deeds, but at the same time, he compares himself to the other person. And you know how it is sometimes with us, and I want to tell you that one of the things about human nature is whenever we make a comparison with somebody else, we have a tendency to look better in our own eyes. At least I'm not doing what she's doing or what he's doing. I remember preaching a message like this, and there was some folks in the front row, and I began to share about some of these things, and, and one lady, I'm telling you, I, it, it, just, it just, like, I almost, I almost fell off the stage. She, she actually, right in front of me, she was sitting, like, over here, and as I was preaching and I was sharing a mess, similar message, she actually leaned over looked at somebody else in the row and said, that one was for you. Did you catch that? That was for you. And I said, whoa. I said, what about you? Because <laughs> I'm going to tell you right now, sister, that was for me too. You see, it's easy for us to, to get caught up in the things that we do and dismiss others or look down upon others. This second guy, Jesus said he wouldn't even look up. I mean, he was, he was just so, 
so broken. His approach was, I'm a sinner. And it says that he just simply beat on his chest and said, have mercy upon me, a sinner. And then Jesus asked the question now, of the two, which one went home justified? And all of us in the room right here, let me just ask a simple question. Both of these men went up into the temple to pray. I don't want us to lose sight of that. Both of them go up to worship, which means that all of us come to worship. And I want us to check our approach in coming to worship. What's our, what's, what, what's our, our spirit like when we're coming to worship? Do we come with a spirit of humility and recognizing that I'm here because I'm a sinner in need of God's grace? Or do we come saying, I'm going to go and show how good I am. I'm going to go show and I'm just going to, you know, what's our attitude when we come to worship? Let me, let me tell you something. Even as I was driving here and I was, and I was praying, I said, Lord, help me as I am, you know, even as I'm pulling up onto these premises, as I'm walking in this building, help me to understand that I need you. I'm not just here to preach a message. I'm here to share along with you what God has put on my heart. But at the same time, I recognize that I am here because I need Jesus. Let's get into this now. John chapter 4, and I'm going to really just break this down. with these clusters of verse, verses. It, and notice what it says, beginning in verse 1. When therefore the Lord knew how... Let me, let me give you a profile real quick of the women. You might have more things to add. This is just some of the stuff that I found. She's from Samaria. Um, age unknown, parents unknown, relatives unknown. And she's also known as the woman of Samaria. She's a moral and social outcast. She is an outsider. She is a descendant of Jacob, and praise be to God, when the story ends, she's an evangelist. <laughs> there could be more. Divorcee, right? I mean, Jesus himself would even said to her, yeah, you have five husbands. You've had five husbands, and the one man that you're with now, number six, that's not your husband. And we're going to get to that in just a moment. Hang on. Notice what it says, and... It says here, therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize, but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee. But he needed to go through where? He needed to go through Samaria. He needed to go through Samaria. Okay? And by the way, I want you to notice something that, that's amazing is Jesus leaves Jerusalem. That's in John chapter 2. And by the way, you're going to discover that one of the, one of the things that's common in the first five chapters of, of John is there's always a mention of water. In John chapter 1, John the Baptist says that I came baptizing with water, but he that comes after me and is before me, he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost. In John chapter 2, Jesus goes to the little town of Cana, and what does he perform there? He performs a miracle by turning the water into what? Into wine. And then in John chapter 3, he tells Nicodemus that you must be born again of what? 
of water and the what? And the spirit. And then here in John chapter 4, he's going to present himself as the living water and that this woman is in need of living water. In John chapter 5, he comes up to a man who has been, who has been lame or laying there uh, for 38 years near the pool of Bethesda. And he's trying, he hasn't been able to get to the water. And Jesus is saying, if you will be made whole, I can make you whole. Will you be made whole? And the man said, there's no one that takes me down to the water. He said, no, I don't, don't worry about that. Will you be made whole? Do you want to be made whole? And Jesus raised that man up and he took his bed and walked. But what I'm saying to you is that the common denominator in all of these chapters is that there's a mention of water, which means that Jesus is trying to tell us something very important, that we need the living water, that we need to be baptized by water, that we need to drink the living water and have the living water dwelling in us so that it can spring up into us and flow out of us so others can experience Jesus as the living water. Whew. So, it says that he leaves Jerusalem. On his way out, the disciples are baptizing people. Then he has this private interview with Nicodemus. Now he's making his way back towards Galilee. Now, you must understand that in order for them to, to get to Galilee, they, gotta, they usually, traditionally, go around Samaria, which is the long route, because they want to avoid the Samaritans. They want nothing to do with them. I mean, they, there's, there's some serious animosity and hatred between the Samaritans and the Jews. They can't stand each other, okay? And, and so you have a, a racial component here. They don't like the Samaritans because the Samaritans to them are a mixed group of people, a mixed breed, if you will. They are a mixture of Jewish people along with Canaanites or even the Assyrians who conquered um, Jerusalem and Samaria when it was the capital there. And what happens is, is family, I want to tell you that there was, a, there was a mingling of these people with the Jewish people. And so those who thought themselves to be pure blood looked down upon this mixed race of Jews and Canaanites and couldn't stand them. Do you think that we have racial issues today? But that's the one thing I love about Jesus is that Jesus deliberately, intentionally, went through Samaria because he knew that this woman needed, he was going to have a divine appointment with this woman, and that the people of Samaria needed to hear the gospel. Here's my question. Are we willing, are we willing to come out of our comfort zones? Are we willing to go out of our boxes and out of our comfort zones and, and meet with different people where they are? And share the gospel with them. I'm talking about in your own spaces, in your own spheres, uh, spheres of influence, in your own circles of influence. Are we willing to get uncomfortable for the gospel? Because I want to tell you that the disciples, I'm pretty sure, struggled with this, which is probably why Jesus sent them away to go get some food while he went and sat next to this well. And so I want you to notice that they needed to go to Samaria. <laughs> the, the other thing I, I praise God for is, I'm so thankful that Jesus needed to come to planet Earth to save you and me. He must needs go through Samaria. Then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied 
with his journey sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour or noontime. There cometh a woman, there cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. And Jesus says unto her, give me the drink. For his disciples were gone away unto the city to buy meat. Then I want to go to verse 9. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For the Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Let me tell you something that the first, the first point I want to make here is just the fact that Christ is initiating a conversation with this woman is radical. It's radical. Why? Because she, she says it right there in the, in the text. She says, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. That's radical. The other thing is that Jewish men, Jewish men, it, was, it, it would be looked upon. You would, I mean, it would be a disgrace if you were caught speaking to a strange woman in public for a Jewish man. And the other thing, let me, let me share something else with you. Not only is this woman a moral and social outcast in the eyes of the Jews, she's also a social and moral outcast among her own people. In her own community, she is a moral and social outcast. And, and the reason for that, I mean, the way we can tell is because she comes, to the, she comes to draw water at noon and scholars, all scholars, or majority of the scholars agree that that was an unusual time for her to come and draw water from the well. Because women would usually come earlier in the morning, like around 9 a.m. or, you know, before the noonday because it would get so hot. She came by herself. She came by herself. And, 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 and think about this. She is not only a woman. She is a woman that is despised and a social and moral outcast in the eyes of the Jews. She's also a social and moral outcast in the eyes of her own people. So she's a woman, and on top of that, she's a woman with a bad reputation. And Jesus is actually now initiating a conversation with her, which should tell us something about Jesus. That it doesn't matter, again, to him. Listen, what Jesus is doing he is reaching across cultural, moral, gender. He is reaching across. He is breaking. He is breaking the walls and the barriers down with all of those things. And you know what? Christ is even willing to buck tradition in order to save a soul. Here's my question to you, church family. What is more important to us? Maintaining certain traditions and maintaining a church building or saving souls. You know, it, 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 it's amazing to me that uh, folks get all bent out of shape sometimes. And I'm not saying that this is this church. <laughs> Praise be to God. But people seem to be more, more caught up with trying to protect and, 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 and the upkeep of a church building. I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with keeping the building clean. But let me, let me share something with you again. The church is not the building. Let me repeat. The church is not the building. The church is made up of people. We are the church. Would you say amen? And so when folks come in and, and, and uh, let's say, you know, 
the children come in and, and uh, sometimes, you know, children are known to make a mess and they do this, this and that. And, and, and people get bent out of shape, you know, man, it's too much work to be, you know, dealing with all these people coming in. Folks come in with different color hair, different color, you know, they dress differently, they eat differently, they smell differently. And I want to tell you, beloved, I praise God that Jesus embraces all of that. And so should we. I think I mentioned that a couple of months ago. This other church plant that I'm working with that is going to, that, that, that uh, we started in Puyallup. It's called New Life in Puyallup. The beautiful thing I loved about it was, man, there was this one brother that walked in. And his wife, I mean, he looked, <laughs> he, had, he had all of his, his dickies on. And, and, man, he just, you know, he, had, he was all tatted up. Comes in. And I think I mentioned it here. He walks in and the whole foyer smells like marijuana this brother brings that it comes wafting into the entire foyer area and then and then it even makes its way into the sanctuary as this brother walks up into the church but the thing was you know people kind of froze up and looked at him like oh man did you do you smell that man i just walked up to him man and threw my arms around him and said welcome brother i want to thank you and your wife and your children for coming out today and man he loved it when when we finally made the appeal during, during the communion service, guess who was the first ones to stand up and come forward for the appeal and gave their hearts to Jesus? It was that brother and his wife and his children. <laughs> We're talking about a woman here, right? She's, 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 I mean, this is, this is amazing. This is, this is, this is radical. And then Jesus goes on to say to her, Jesus answered and said unto her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that says to thee or says to you, give me the drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Oh, man. So he asked a courteous, a, a courtesy of her, a favor of her. And now he's drawing her in. Verse 11, the woman says unto him, sir, you don't have anything to draw with. And the well is deep. From where do you have that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, which gave us this well and drank? from it himself and his children and his cattle? Jesus answered and said to, unto her, Whosoever drinks, whoever drinks of this water shall thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I give him shall never thirst. But the water that I give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman said unto him, Sir, give me this water that I do not thirst, neither um, neither will I come to draw water again. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and then come back. Oh, I love this. Family, I want to share with you that this woman, this woman, right, she, now Jesus has her on the hook. He's got her. And, and the thing that, that's beautiful about it is he says, she says, he says to her that if you drink of this water, you're going to thirst again. But if you drink of the water that I give you, you're not going to thirst again. In other words, family, let me share with you. Let me, let me share with you. For me, for me, the well that I kept dipping into, and there's only one who can fill the God-sized hole in your soul. That's Jesus. Nothing else. You know, you know, what, you know, what, you know what Christ did? If you read John chapter 3 and chapter 4 together, Christ deals with Nicodemus' smug self-satisfaction. 
Let me say that again. Christ, Christ strips away the, 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 the facade, and he says to, when he says to Nicodemus, you must be born again, he was dealing with Nicodemus' smug self-satisfaction. Here, he wants to deal with the woman's dissatisfaction. One seems satisfied. One seems satisfied with his, with his self-righteousness, with, his, with, his, you know, with all, all the things that he has, and Christ strips him down. And for the woman, she's not satisfied. And, and the way that we know this is because the thing that, that Christ just told her, he says, okay, you go and call your husband. Now, notice her response. She then says to him, she says to him, um, right here, we'll come back to this. The woman answered and said, I don't have a husband. Jesus said to her, you have said, well, you have said the truth, you have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one that you're with now is not your husband. You have spoken the truth. So what was it for this woman that she kept on, what well did she keep, did she keep on dipping into? Yeah, that's right. She, she felt like she had to be what? She had to find validation, right, by having a what? By having a husband. In other words, these relationships, these relationships, she was trying to find satisfaction. She was trying to find her identity. She was trying to find validation in these relationships. But they were, she kept on having what? One broken relationship after the other, and she was dissatisfied. She could not find satisfaction until, praise be to God, check this out. She had six men. It wasn't until she ran into the seventh man, the perfect man, now she's finding satisfaction. Now, I'm not recommending that you go out and try to hook up with six people first and then come to Jesus. Would you say amen? That's not what it's saying. What, 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 the, what the word of God is saying is, what is it, what, what, what well are we dipping into? What water are we drinking from? What cistern or, 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 or well are we constantly finding ourselves at, sitting at, dipping into, drawing from, that gives no satisfaction? For me, it was drugs. For me, it was the porn. For me, it was alcohol. For me, it was violence. Those were the things that I kept on finding myself dipping into, and I can find no satisfaction. But I want to tell you, family, that when I, when, I, when I discovered and encountered Jesus, and when Jesus came chasing me, when Jesus pursued me, when Jesus came after me, I want to tell you right now that there has been nothing, nothing more satisfying than having a relationship with Jesus. The best thing ever. And it's not saying that you're not, you, that you're not going to continue, you know, that you're not going to want to drink from Christ anymore. No, you're going to have deep drafts that you're going to want to take because he's an inexhaustible supply. He is that living water that is continually flowing, that living water that is always giving. find myself drinking, drinking and drinking and drinking that nasty old English 800 Mickeys and all this other foolish stuff that I used to drink. And I remember one of the things that, that, that this, it, it drove me out of my mind. The devil was having his way with me. Half of, half of the time, I'd, I'd even show up to church and 
my, my, my dear mom, my, my, my prayer warrior of a mom who is now resting in Jesus. She knew I'd come, I'd come in and, and I was hungover. And, and the reason why I would come in is because I knew that I had to sing on Sabbath morning for my dad. See, I was a part of an acapella group with my other brothers. There were 10 of us, 10 boys, all knuckleheads. And as I've shared in other places, I've lost two to the streets. Both of them shot and killed, one in San Francisco, California, and the other one up in West Seattle, up in High Point. Both shot and killed, taken violently. A nephew shot up in North Seattle just three years ago. A niece of mine shot and killed in 2016 on the streets of White Center there in West Seattle at the age of 22. And so the devil... The devil has gone all out, and, and, and as he does with all of us. Because according to the Gospel of John, chapter 10, verse 10, it says, Jesus said that the thief only comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. But praise be to God, Jesus says, but I am come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. Would you say amen? According to the book of Acts, chapter 10, verse 38, it says that God anointed Jesus Christ with the Holy Spirit and with power, and he went about doing good and healing all those who were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. First John chapter three verse eight. The Bible says that those who have those who have sinned are of the devil, because the devil sins from the beginning. For this purpose was Jesus manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Hebrews chapter two and verse fourteen fifteen. It says that Jesus came and by his death he destroyed the one that had the power of death. That is the devil and. Now he sets us free, those who in all their lifetime have been in bondage of fear and scared of the devil. We no longer have to fear this enemy. Why? Because Jesus has conquered him. Jesus has conquered the world. Jesus has conquered sin. Jesus has conquered self. Jesus has conquered it all. And by faith we can receive his grace and his victory and his life. When are we going to stop believing the lies of the devil? That's all he does is lie. And start believing in the truth and in the promises of God's word and claim the promises of God's word. <laughs> I, believe in the I believe in the miracle working power um, of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit, Brother Brian. I believe that he can deliver. I believe that he can heal people of their brokenness, whether it's mental or emotional or physical or spiritual or relational. By his stripes, Isaiah 53, verse 5, by his wounds, we are healed. I don't know who this is for. This is for tonight. Somebody might need healing in this place. This woman is a social and moral outcast. You don't think she's broken? The fact that she would show up at the well by herself because maybe some of these other women were gossiping about her? There goes that man stealer. I would use some of the other street vernacular, but it's not the right place. There goes that. There goes that. Because you see, I mean, seriously. She's an... She, she is, she is ostracized from her community. And yet here, Jesus comes into her life and is offering her the living water. She says, I want them. Let's close this up.
What is it, family, that has a hold on you? Again, that God-sized hole in the soul can only be filled with the one who created us. That's why it says over there in the book of Genesis, chapter 2, verse 7, it says, For God formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and then man became a living soul. It applies because unless we have God living in us, we will never be satisfied. We will never live out and fulfill the purpose of our existence and why we're here. No wonder why Mark Twain says that the two most important days in a person's life is the day that he's born and the day that he finds out why. I mentioned the other night about John the Baptist that as soon as John the Baptist, while, while in a dungeon by himself, facing the prospect of death, even dealt with some struggles and questions. And that's the reason why he sent his disciples over to Jesus and asked Jesus the question, are you the one or should we expect another? Jesus then quotes Isaiah chapter 35. <laughs> Speaking of his own ministry, he says, you go and tell John what you see and hear, what you, what you hear and see here today, that the lame walk and the blind see and the deaf hear and the dead are raised back to life. You go and tell John that. He knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> After John hears that, listen, family, I believe, I believe with all my heart that John was now ready, even, even if it, even if, you know, it was about to cost his life, but he was ready. To, he was ready to take his rest because he had been he had fulfilled his purpose and the mission that God had given him. He had lived out. He had fulfilled the life that God had given to him, even though it was cut short, even though it was cut off at that time. He had lived out the purpose of his life. So let's 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 think about this. The woman then in verse 19 says, the woman said unto him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Ah, uh, man, I got to show you this one. Um, Charles Spurgeon put it this way. He said it would have been better for her to say, I perceive me to be a sinner. <laughs> you know, sometimes instead of just instead of acknowledging God and, you know, and who he is, sometimes we just need to acknowledge that, man, I'm a sinner, right? And, and, just, and just understand that we need, we need, his help. We need God. The woman says unto him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and, and you say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Now she's wanting to talk about worship and the location of worship. Let me just share here what Jesus said. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you shall neither in this mountain nor at Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship, you know not what, you know, uh, we know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Oh, I love that. Now, when Jesus is saying that the hour 
the hour is coming when you're not going to worship on this mountain or this mountain. You just, listen, you say, I'm not going to, I'm not going to waste my time. I'm not going to spend the time talking about the location or the locale of where worship should take place. Let me just put it this way. The hour is coming, he said, when you're not going to worship on this mountain or on, or on the other mountain. He says that wherever we are gathered, those who worship God will worship him in spirit and in truth. Whether it's in this building, check it out. Whether it's in your house, whether it's in a small group, whether it's in a jail cell, whether it's in a hospital room, wherever we are and the spirit of God is present, that place becomes a place of worship. Would you say amen? I was worshiping God on the way here in my car. We need to cultivate a spirit of, of, of worship and uh, wherever we are. Some folks think that it's just the weekend thing. <laughs> that church only takes place, church service only takes place in a building. That's, that's, why, that's what excites me about what's happening here in this community and how the church here is reaching out into the community. I mean, with the shower trailer and, and with, the, with the, you know, serving of the food and clothes and all of that, that right there, listen, family, that right there is service. When we're meeting the needs of people, when we're meeting the needs of people wherever they are. The woman saith unto him, I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. When he has come, he will tell us all things. Notice what Jesus says. Jesus says unto her, I that speak unto you am he. Man, I wish I could unpack that. Pastor said something the other night. Mm. He said something the other night that was so powerful about that. It's interesting how at times Jesus would, Jesus would, uh, tell certain people, right, don't tell any man what I've done, done for you, or he wouldn't, you know, reveal himself. But to this woman, he reveals himself to be the Messiah. And upon this came his disciples and marveled that he talked with the woman. See, they marveled, they're surprised, they're shocked that he talked to the woman. And yet no man said, what do you seek, or why do you talk with her? The woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city and said to the men, man, this is a and say it to the men. What was her issue? With who? Men. And, and check this out, Brian. So, by the way, the, here's, here's the beautiful thing that I love about this as well. Oh, man. There's a beautiful song that I love from Torrin Wells. It's called uh, Fully Known. Right? And... That, that song is so beautiful. It says, uh, I'm fully known, but fully loved. And I believe that this woman is, is having this experience, that her, her life, right, even though Christ was probing and Christ was, was, was pointing out things that are uncomfortable, uh, the skeletons in her closet, um, those dark spaces and recesses of her heart that she, that she probably was uncomfortable somebody touching and reaching into, and yet Christ did it, and, and she didn't feel condemned in his presence. She didn't feel like, you know, like she was a, 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 an outcast in his presence. She felt like even though he knew all of these things about her and exposed her, basically, that she felt loved and accepted, and that's the reason why she left her water pot. Let me tell you, family, that she left her water pot there because she herself became a living 
drinking water pot, now carrying the living water to a city in need of that living water. Praise be to God. Brother Brian, I mean, she's like, you know what? This is, this is amazing. I've, I've tasted, I've, I've drank of this living water. Now I've got to go and share it. Can I tell you that I believe with all my heart that, you know, it's amazing who Jesus and God chooses and selects to carry that living water and to go and share the gospel. I mean, come on. I don't have any business being up here. I mean, I was a dopehead. I was out of my mind. I'm a convict. I'm, man, I'm an addict. And yet God pulled me from the gutter and he put the gospel in my heart and the gospel in the word in my mouth. And he has had me going around preaching the gospel and lifting up Jesus and sharing about him. Why? Because he has the power to change and transform lives. That's what God does. I like to use this story all the time. You know, the devil, the devil thought he was slick. The devil had his way with me, Brother Joe. Treated me like trash. Crumpled me up. Beat me down. Pimped me out. Threw me down. Stepped on me. Stumped on me. I mean, he did everything Everything possible to destroy me. And, and the one thing, though, that he did was he then took me and was aiming for the trash can. And when he threw me, he missed the trash can, and I ended up in the recycle bin. Somebody say amen. I don't know about you, but I always put out two cans on my curb on a certain day. It's the trash in the recycle bin. And the devil took me, Pastor, and he said, man, I'm going to get, you know, this guy is done. You know, I'm, he's trash. He's nothing. He's worthless. He's useless. And he aimed for the trash can. I ended up in the recycle bin. And when you take the recycle down to the recycling center, the other name for recycle center is redemption center. It's where you redeem. And Jesus redeemed this prodigal preacher. And like this woman, I mean, think about it. You think of, I hate to, I hate to really say this, but that's what I love about being an evangelist. And sometimes you can go in different spaces and say what you want and then leave. And then leave it with the pastor. But I'm not going to do that. I just, you know, I have a pastor's heart because I, I pastor churches myself, right? Well, let me just say this. What church, what church board would have chosen this woman to be an evangelist? With her history. You, but but do, let, me, let me share something with you. Do you see how quickly, how quickly this happens? I don't, know, I don't know the time frame. We were just talking about that before the service. I don't know the time frame that it took when Jesus arrived there in Samaria and the disciples went off, and the disciples went off to get some food. We know that it was around noon when he had this encounter with the woman. We don't know how long of a time it took or the span of time that she was there having this conversation with Jesus. But one thing is clear. One thing is clear. Just that one encounter with the master, just that one encounter with Jesus changed her life. And what does she do? She becomes that living water pot. She goes to the city, and the Bible says she goes to the men of the city and tells the men. Because think about it. They're seeing this woman now that maybe some of them, 
had, you know, seen or, or even messed with, and now they're seeing her coming with this good news and say, hey, come and see a man that told me everything that I had done. And now the city comes out to hear Jesus. And when they come to hear Jesus, they say, you know what? Now, it's not because just your testimony. We have heard him for ourselves, and we are thankful that he has come into our region. Do you know that because, because of her testimony that, that, that many of the Samaritans accepted Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior? And when the disciples in the book of Acts went out to Samaria, many more were ready to hear the gospel because of the seed that had been sown and the testimony that had been given. I praise God that this woman is an example of all those who have an encounter with Jesus. You may not understand everything. You may not know everything. But please understand this. That when Jesus encounters you and he enters into your life, you will never, ever, ever be the same again. Huh. Come and see a man which told me all things that I ever, ever I did. Is not this the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came unto him. In the meanwhile, his disciples prayed him, saying, Master, eat. And he said unto them, I have meat to eat that you don't know of. Therefore said the disciples one to another, Did any man bring him anything to eat? Jesus said to them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me, and to finish his work. Don't say that there are four months, and, and then comes the harvest. Behold, I, I tell you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. And then it says here, in closing, and many of the Samaritans that of the city, of that city, believed on him for the saying of the woman which testified, he told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans were coming to him, were come unto him, to Jesus, they, they sought him and he said, and he would stay with them. And he stayed there two days with them. And many more believed because of his own word and said unto the woman, now we believe not because of thy saying, for we have heard him ourselves and know that he is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. An old Native American man accepted the Christian faith, accepted Christ as his personal Lord and Savior. And one day he came back to his came back to his tribe and they asked him, they said, why did you leave our religion, our belief, and join the Christian faith? Why did you do that? The old man got down on the ground and gathered a, a bunch of leaves together and piled up the leaves. He then found an earthworm, and he placed that earthworm right there in the center of that pile of leaves. He then set the perimeter of the leaves, that pile of leaves, on fire. And as the fire began to burn and, and inch, closer, inch closer and closer and closer to that earthworm, that old man reached down into the fire, pulled that earthworm out, set it on the cool earth, and said, that's why I'm a Christian, because that's what God did for me. 
want to tell you, family, that I can testify. I'm a witness that God plucked me from the fire. I'm telling you my experiences, and there are more to share when I talk about demonic possession tomorrow morning. I, I want to tell you that I thank God. I thank God for my praying mother who prayed for me. Went to her rest without seeing her son come back to Christ. But she believed it by faith. And if there are praying mothers in here and you have children or young people that you are praying for, maybe they've gone out, maybe they're struggling here. Isaiah chapter 49 verse 25, the prophet says, God says that I will contend with him who contends with you and I will save your children. Jeremiah 31 verses 16 and 17 says, I will return your children or I will bring your children back from the land of the enemy and I will return them back to their borders or back to their homes. I want to tell you that God is faithful to his promise. Would you say amen? God is faithful. I praise God.